Welcome to Media Roots Radio. This is Robbie Martin. You are listening to a preview clip to the Freemasonic history of the United States, Part 8. This is part of an ongoing series where we explore Freemasonry and all of its associated fraternal and esoteric secret societies. In this preview clip, I go over the origins of The Cremation of Care, a show that is put on by the Bohemian Club at the yearly Bohemian Grove summer campout.
the summer of 1881, there was going to be another Bohemian Grove campout in the redwood forests of Northern California. They still hadn't found a completely permanent location for their campout. From the greatest men's party on earth by John Vanderzee, he says that the campsite that the Bohemian Club used for their now annual Bohemian Grove campout had been cut down by loggers sometime after the campout in 1880. The Bohemian Club got alarmed and started sending their leaders out on weekend trips to secure a new site. The club appointed two surveyors. One of them was named Joseph Tilden and another Jerome A. Hart. They eventually convinced a local landowner near the Russian River, near Guerneville and Monterio in California, where they had previously done their other campouts, to allow them to use part of his land and lease it. The plans for the 1881 July Bohemian Grove campout involved sophisticated construction, such as building a giant floating dock, a diving board on the river, and campsites prepared for 150 men. They also said in their annals, quote, that the entire Russian river will be fenced in so that the sinners may freely wash. Does this mean that the river will be fenced off so that the sinners can freely bathe nude? Sorry, why would they need a fence to freely wash? The only thing I can think there is that they will be naked or doing something that they don't want other people to see. But it also says right after this passage about what seems to be implied nude bathing, it says the ceremonies attending cremation of the body of care will be conducted with usual solemnity and all are urgently entreated to bring their little bundle of yearly miseries to add to the funeral pyre. 1881 is technically only the second year that Bohemian Grove has performed what they describe as their cremation of care ritual. Something that would go hand in hand with the Grove campout itself. Now, even though the full, full length plays at the Bohemian Grove campout that sometimes had up to 86 piece orchestras wouldn't take place until around 1902. But in the Bohemian Club Annals Volume 4, they explored the origin of the cremation of care ceremony. And yes, at this time, the Bohemian Grove and the Bohemian Club were calling the owl their deity. But there wasn't any statue of an owl yet. There wasn't the large stone owl that you see at pictures of Bohemian Grove that's used as sort of an altar in the cremation of care ceremony. That wasn't there yet. Right now, actually, the cremation of care, as it first arose in 1880s, summer opening ceremony of the Bohemian Grove. It arose in a short play called The Man in the Forest. In the annals of the Bohemian Club number four, it says that the man in the forest must be accorded the honor of having been number one on the honor list of true Bohemian Grove plays. At all events, it resulted in an unexpected success. Then, too, it had the added value of being introductory to the ceremony of the cremation of care, in and of itself a pleasing innovation which has scarcely been improved upon during many years that followed. 
The theme is decidedly interesting. The action begins with a storm, vividly indicated on the stage and in the orchestra. Then the storm music subsides into the bohemian theme of promise. The chief of the tribe appears alone in the forest camp and bemoaning a threatening annihilation of his people, invokes the protection of the owl, whose hoot is heard above the swish of the winds through the trees. With a rush of wings, the owl appears and prophesizes that a deliverer is even now upon the way. During the prophecy, the bohemian melody and the theme of care are suggested in the orchestra. Suddenly, a runner appears and tells of the capture of a white prisoner. Discussion follows in the council circle, and the tribal historian tells them the legend of the man in the forest. The medicine man urges the tribe to proceed with the snake dance, the mystic dance of prayer that pleads with the great spirit to decide for his people. While the priests and braves are adorning themselves and their teepees to prepare for an expected sacrifice, the tribe's musician plays a weird melody on his pipe. The Indians burst into their mad snake dance, and their frenzy scatter into the depths of the forest. At this juncture, the scouting party returns with the Bohemian as its captive. In his footsteps follow the specter Care, menacing the camp. The lament throbs to the orchestra and changes to the Bohemian melody as the white man's calm and courageous gaze repels the evil spirit. The Bohemian now addresses the Indians, giving Bohemia's message, and summons from the forest the allegory of plenty amid burst of light and music. Care dies among the joyful people, while the protecting owl spreads his benign wings above the man in the forest. So during this play, The Man in the Forest, they had a character playing Care, a character playing the chief of the tribe, a character playing the owl, and another character playing the bohemian. Now, it's not clear if this prisoner in this play was killed as well as part of this ceremony, but this spirit of Care, portrayed by an actor, was cremated and killed in this play. But what's interesting is the very first iteration of Cremation of Care in 1880 was part of a short play that was basically Bohemian Grove members pretending to be Native Americans. But I'm supposed to be talking about the 1881 July Bohemian Grove Cremation of Care ceremony, only the second one they ever did. And this time it wasn't part of a short play called A Man in the Forest. It was actually its own separate vignette, if you will, that was actually acting as the opening ceremony to the Grove Campout that year. And this time, the play resembled more of a druid-type ritual. It was done in a more humorous fashion than the Man in the Forest version, and it was simply the burning of a human effigy that was in the place of care. From the Annals of the Bohemian Club, Volume 9, it says, in 1881, the formal hijinks was papers with songs. The memorable events were a minstrel show and the second version of the cremation of care. There's actually a painting here that's depicting the cremation of care ritual at the Bohemian Grove campout in the year 1881. And it looks like they actually switched the theme out from a Native American tribe to some kind of Egyptian tribe, as it looks like one of the men dressed in costume here is holding some kind of Egyptian staff. 
Now, notably, there is no stone owl statue. There aren't any real props at all. It doesn't even look like there's a stage during this depiction of cremation of care that took place in the summer camp out of 1881. It looks like they're literally... The Grove members are just all in a circle sitting around in chairs surrounding about three performers who are basically burning a human effigy on a funeral pyre. As corny and as offensive as this all sounds, minstrel theater, mock Native American plays where the white man's gaze, you know, wins out against these his captors. Even though this, you know, sounds really corny, a lot of really talented artists and musicians and basically stagehands and playwrights and people who are very experienced in theater were behind all this stuff. There was original classical music performances done that were written just for these Grove plays. Even though the painting depiction of the cremation of care in this 1881 July campout opening ceremony looks fairly low budget, it doesn't look that impressive, these plays became so high budget over the years. By the time we get to around the early 1900s, these plays are more expensive than anything that was currently being performed anywhere in the United States. These were probably the most high-budget and elaborate stage shows, uh, most impressive stage shows with some very talented people being involved that you could see really anywhere in the country at the time. So not only was it already an exclusive and elite club you know, that very few people got into, you were also treated to this stuff that was created by the club members. But the cremation of care would remain the biggest influencer within the Bohemian Grove that would continue to inspire people to do more and more elaborate plays that would build off of this now yearly tradition of doing the cremation of care ceremony as its opening ceremony for the Grove itself. In the book, The Greatest Men's Party on Earth, the author John Vanderzee says that if you are participating in one of these plays, people as famous at the time as Henry Ford or even Nelson Rockefeller could be stagehands. But what kind of stuff was Bohemian Grove and the Bohemian Club actually up to at this point? Well, on special occasions at the Bohemian Club location itself, the Bohemian Club building in San Francisco, which was just a private gentleman's club, they would have what they would call hijinks and lowjinks. Hijinks being sort of more intellectual-minded sketches and plays and musical numbers, and low jinks being sort of blue or sexually titillating or edgy humor for the time sketches, kind of meant to be in bad taste. Like the infamous low jinks sketch in Limerick called The Ladies of Monte Rio. This is a not-so-subtle reference to all the prostitutes that the Bohemian Grove attendees would essentially utilize in the small, very small town of Monte Rio near the Russian River. And it was sort of a roast on the Grove members themselves, procuring prostitutes, but also very unflattering to these Monte Rio sex workers of the 1880s. On the night of the opening ceremony of the Bohemian Grove campout in summer of 1881, it says from the annals of the Bohemian Club, 1881. It says that this jinx was held in the grove on the banks of the Russian River, that is to say on the same side as the village of Guerneville. Songs were sung by the light of blazing campfires, the moon and the occasional coal oil lamp, after which at midnight came the burial of care, or rather the cremation of care. 
The weird procession escorting the beer, winding its way through the forest, pacing solemnly to the music of a dirge, down to the peaceful, star-reflecting river. It also makes a point to not out certain Grove members. It talks about how they were actually participating in a minstrel show, that these elites are only referred to as a senator, a capitalist with gout, and a judge and a physician. So already in 1881, they're concealing the names of some of their more famous members intentionally. When hyping up the next campout that was supposed to take place in July 1882, veteran Bohemian Horace G. Platt says that the inspiration of the theme the grandeur of the surroundings will open wide the floodgates of eloquence, and the great round moon and the twinkling stars will shine smilingly their approval, while from the ashes of the funeral pyre of cremated care will arise the refulgent form of jollity, crowned with a brilliant halo, proclaiming joy and gladness to all the Bohemian Brotherhood. On December 4th, 1880, at the Bohemian Club, a man named Colonel Henry J. Brady, a Bohemian member, performs a jinx, they say, in the official annals of the Bohemian Club, Volume 2. Little sketch, if you will, kind of implying that the devil should be one of our greatest inspirations. He says, Bohemians, most potent, grave, and reverend seniors, come to the hijinks and rays. Let us strew the Brocken with flowers that have grown in many lands, not a few mayhap in bottles. A high authority says the devil is a gentleman. He is also a theologian, can cite scripture for his purpose. Likewise, a bow hath power to assume a pleasing shape. In fact, he's a devilish fine fellow, and let us not withhold his due. Were it not for the satanic majesty, two-thirds of the literature in the world would be unwritten, and the remaining third would be flavorless, the earth would be peopled with a homogeneous motley of dodos and goody-goodies, sands, salt, spice, or relish, and tragedy, comedy, romance, and chivalry would be meaningless terms. In the same evening of hijinks, a man named Charles Warren Stoddard, a Bohemian Club member, reads one of his own poems called Lucifer, Star of the Morning. The sketch that accompanied this little ode to the devil was apparently done in costume. They say at one point, a small hall boy, garbed as an imp from hell, reclined between times on a tiger skin at the sire's patent leather feet. And the sire, during the sketch, was adorned in costume of the devil. This seems like an early example of people who were in elite high society at the time, leaning into sort of trolling about devil worship, kind of trying to be edgy, you know, anti-Christian, atheistic people who maybe wanted people to think that they were doing this kind of stuff. Now, whereas some of these maybe prostitute poems and sketches about the devil and minstrel shows were maybe considered low jinx, the cremation of care was considered high jinx, the highest high jinx of them all. In the 1883 campout, during the cremation of care ceremony, they actually erected their first statue, but not of the owl yet. They erected a statue of their club's patron saint, John Nepomuk, 
next to a redwood, they said, older than St. John himself. And it says that the cremation of care was actually performed with its usual fantastic rites and solemn absurdities, but with a new idea added on. That after the funeral pyre destroys the body of grim care, joy should arise, newborn triumphant. And this was carried into practice by a fire balloon, which as the last Roman candle exploded in the coffin of care, ascended gloriously into the midnight sky to the merry music of the band and the merrier dancing of the brotherhood, cowled monks, alkalites, neophytes, red-robed fiends, and plain, ordinary members, who with joined hands watched its ascent. This was the final number of a prearranged pageant, but a still more brilliant spectacle, not down upon the program, occurred when the balloon descended into a distant piece of woods and set it on fire, for which the club afterwards paid a bill of damages amounting to $30. That's interesting because redwood trees, as you know, are hundreds and hundreds of years old. And But if a redwood tree catches on fire or gets scorched, it's likely not going to heal. It takes a very long time for it to grow new bark or for it to not look burnt. If you've seen a redwood forest that's been partially burnt before, it really looks like that pretty much for hundreds of years. So kind of interesting to think where did this actually happen and are these bohemian grove cremation of care scorch marks from a partial forest fire still there somewhere in Guerneville for you to go find I would say yeah probably they are the very first mention of any statue of an owl at all in the bohemian club was at the Christmas jinx a December 29th party they held in 1883 they had an event at the club itself, not at the Grove, called The Raising of the Owl, marked by the author in this Annals of Bohemian Club, saying that, marked the first appearance in public of this great image of our tutelary deity, which now for 11 years had had the club in its keeping. This owl, which is done in white plaster, is about five feet in height. It stands upon one claw, which rests upon a human skull. The other claw being raised in admonition, as though to enforce the lesson of mortality. One eye is gently closed in a reassuring wink, which, while it increases the sphinx-like character of the creation for the uninitiated, to the true worshiper at the shrine, it declares that while, quote, all is vanity, unquote, there are some vanities which are not half bad. So it'd be fascinating to know if that early version of the stone owl, as it's called later, for the later cremation of care ceremonies exists anywhere today. Does this plaster owl that was created in 1883, does someone still have that around? Are there pictures of that? I've never seen that. At the same Christmas party, they actually performed a low jinx, as they called it, where members dressed in druid robes stood in front of the owl statue and roasted other club members with really specific cutting remarks. So technically, the first performance they did in front of an owl statue wasn't as part of Cremation of Care, but in fact was a comedy sketch where they roasted people. And here's a poem read at a Midsummer Hijinks sketch, which followed the Cremation of Care in 1885. A club member performs a song which has the following verses. We are the faculty, learn to a high degree. In Greek and in Latin, exceedingly patent. Likewise, the rule of three. We are the faculty. All hail, 
most royal prex. We greet thee with bended necks. They genius discerning, thou model of learning. Who knows not of the opposite sex? All hail, most royal prex. And after this poem, which seems to simultaneously say that they care not about women, the opposite sex, and also sort of making or mocking Masonic degrees, or turning the idea of initiation degrees into some kind of limerick, the Annals of the Bohemian Club, Volume 2, says that this continued into another sketch. The head of the faculty, a character named Mr. Redding, who was the master of some kind of lodge, making the presentations and giving members degrees such as Doctor of Languages, a degree called 30 Degrees Below Zero, another degree called the Sly Old Dog, and lastly, a degree called Bachelor of Love. And then it goes on to say that a member of the Bohemian Grove painted a rather interesting watercolor depiction of this sketch. But when you actually look at the watercolor painting that they show in this book, it looks like some kind of weird Hieronymus Bosch. Scary, surreal, psychedelic nightmare painting. At the Bohemian Club, a man named Peter Robertson, sire, recited the following words in front of a Bohemian Club audience. He says, For on the clouds of incense from Bohemia's fragrant weed, burning in sacrifice on the altars of Bohemian lips, we shall float into that world of calm and pure delight where nectar flow through meads of Elysian flowers, whose beauty is eternal, whose perfume never dies. Talking about the fragrant weed that isn't just a burning bush of sorts, but it's actually apparently some kind of incense that is burnt on the Bohemian's lips. I mean, it could be a marijuana reference. I don't know. I'm just, you know, kind of searching in the dark here a little bit during some of this research and just reading into these things myself without trying to read into them too much but you know this was also a quote published in the original 1881 volume 2 annals of the bohemian grove so were they smoking weed were they doing mushrooms were they doing omnid muscari i mean in actuality one of the only places that we can honestly say in this entire podcast series so far that had guaranteed omnid muscari growing in it would be probably the redwood forests that surround the Russian River in California. Oddly enough, that is the case. And But again, there's absolutely no evidence or really no indication to suggest that any Bohemian Grove members were taking Amanita muscaria whatsoever, or even psilocybin mushrooms, which probably also grew in some of those moist redwood forests. And the cremation of care was immediately the most successful and popular performance at the Bohemian Grove. It's really what everybody was the most excited about. And in essence, all it really was was a mock human sacrifice with sort of comedic undertones, but done through this like really serious, you know, spoken voice. And it symbolized all of the Grove members being able to essentially dispose of all of their cares for the year, dispose of them by symbolizing them in the form of a human effigy being burned. In the late 1880s and early 1890s, Bohemian Grove continued their now long-running tradition 
of the cremation of care ceremony. And every year, these cremation of care performances grew in size and scope and expense, although they still hadn't found a permanent location. In the early 1880s, the landowner Meeker continued to restrict the grove's ability to set up a temporary campsite, so much so that they started to hate Meeker Grove, which they called it. According to John Vanderzee in The Greatest Men's Party on Earth, he says the members plunged into a chorus of complaint about the long trip, the hike to the grove, and the layout of the campground itself. It all required too much effort, especially walking. It was inconvenient. The illusion of rusticating camaraderie that had sustained them in the city simply couldn't survive the dusty, sweaty, outhouse reality. Disgust over the choice was so widespread among the membership that the following years, the directors began looking for a site all over again. For the next few years, the club held its encampments in what amounted to a series of suburban parks close to the lines of major rail companies. At two or three of these outings, the railway company ran a train directly alongside the Jinx ground. In what is now the commuter town of Mill Valley, the neighborhood was so populous that non-members wandered about freely, commented on and criticized the shows, and even ordered drinks at the club's wine room. The Bohemian Club members were desperate to find a new location after these examples of what they considered a breach of their privacy. So they thought to look as far as the Sierras and Mount Shasta. That didn't end up working out. But the club decided again to give Meeker's Grove another chance. And the year after that, they went back to, quote, a suburban park and performing before rubbernecking passengers and passing trains. And John Vanderzee says, in this reactionary manner, rebounding from comparisons, the club began backing toward acquisition of Meeker's Grove. And the internal muttering decreased each year. During the early 1880s, a man who they called Uncle George Bromley, or George T. Bromley, a railroad businessman from Australia who also made a bunch of money off the California gold rush, was the actual high priest or the character who would lead the human sacrifice ritual in the cremation of care. George Bromley wasn't just a beloved Bohemian club member, he also happened to be the club's president. In the Annals of the Bohemian Club, Volume 9, it says there are no mentions of the cremation of care performances during the period of 1888 and 1889, when George Bromley was general counsel in China, their high priest of the cremation of care ceremony. Yes, you heard that correctly the president of the Bohemian Club, all throughout the 1880s, who was the high priest during the cremation of care ceremonies, also held a presidentially appointed role in the U.S. government. And according to my own research, it appears that he was actually appointed by President Benjamin Harrison, who was elected president of the United States in 1888. 
Now, there's no record of President Benjamin Harrison being in any secret fraternities like the Freemasons. And there's no record of him going to the Bohemian Grove or the Bohemian Club. For a president that has almost no historical recognition whatsoever, he seemed to have an incredible amount of sway over the direction that the future of the United States went. Six states were admitted to the Union while Harrison was in office. North Dakota, South Dakota, Montana, Washington, Idaho, and Wyoming. And four justices were appointed to the Supreme Court of the U.S. during his term. So I guess the question I'm asking is, did Benjamin Harrison attend the Bohemian Grove or the Bohemian Club? Was it big enough or exclusive enough at the time to attract presidents of the United States? So let's say that Benjamin Harrison, the president, was actually in attendance during some of these Grove cremation of care ceremonies. Then I'm sure he found George T. Bromley quite charming. But what if Benjamin Harrison watched George T. Bromley doing one of these wonderful cremation of care ceremonies and said, hey, you know what? That guy would be a perfect choice as my representative to China. Towards the end of the 1880s, Bohemian Grove started to actually take a lot of pride in their original compositions. And the encampments and performances began to be dominated by completely original music compositions. In the Annals of the Bohemian Club, Volume 9, it says, Prior to the early 1890s, use of composers in the club was mostly restricted to light saloon music solo songs, and part songs. The beginnings of composer dominance came with the memberships of Joseph D. Redding and Humphrey J. Stewart. They saw an opportunity to compose all original music. And the music described in the book from the late 1880s to the early 1890s says, the music sounded like Brahms or Wagner or the English composers. They tried to modify the cremation of care ceremony many, many times before they originally settled on the sort of locked-in tradition of doing a more strict sort of Judaic ritual, you know, with the funeral pyre on the boat, coming towards the high priest across the water. But originally they had a bunch of different variations of it. They didn't really know exactly what it was yet, even though it was the most popular thing at the Bohemian Grove. They just would put all these different twists on it. Like in 1883, it says from the Annals of Bohemian Club, Volume 9, that there was a sister sketch written that was intended to relate to the cremation of care. This was a mock trial, an early attempt to create a prehistory of care that made the cremation a logical consequence. When they eventually brought back the cremation of care in the early 1890s, they gave it another twist. This time, it would be the first time the cremation of care ceremony would be performed in front of a giant statue. And no, not a giant stone owl statue. That actually wouldn't happen until 1920. In fact, in this 1892 performance of cremation of care, they did it in front of a 75-foot-tall Buddha statue. At this Bohemian Grove campouts, performance of cremation of care which incidentally actually 
the camp out was at Muir Woods. Now being from the Bay Area, this is a disturbing fact. The Bohemian Grove was actually offered Muir Woods for purchase before anyone else was offered it by the person who'd owned it at the time. And the Bohemian Club members ultimately decided against the location of Muir Woods because they believed it to be too foggy, even during the summer. It has the largest redwood trees of any park in Northern California, as far as I know. And now it's like a protected national park and a very famous one too. And apparently because of George Bromley's trips to China during his role as U.S. consulate to China, he communicated with some of the other Grove members, including Fred Summers, and they concocted the idea of doing an Asian-themed cremation of care. And it's described this way in Annals of Bohemian Club, Volume 9. At 9 o'clock, the booming of an Indian temple gong went throbbing and pulsating throughout the woods. Then from afar was heard the music of a military band. And presently its torches were seen flickering among the trees as the musicians arrayed in red kimonos, followed by some 200 members of the club and their white kimonos marching, wended their way to the sacred spot. Then came the priests in kimonos of different colors, emblematic of their cult, and took their places at the respective altars, where the fumes of incense rose tall and slenderly in the still of night air. And this was an original music composition to accompany this sort of Asian twist on the cremation of care in front of a giant 75-foot Buddha statue written by composer Humphrey Stewart, who had already been the musical director for the Bohemian Club's, quote, hijinks, all the way back in 1887. Humphrey Stewart and Jacob Rosewald would become two of the more famous composers associated with the Bohemian Grove's music. We're talking about all original classical music performances, sometimes full length, as we'll get closer to 1900. And even though the motto of the Bohemian Club and the Grove was weaving spiders not come here, which implies that if you're here to talk shop or talk business or conspire or plan things, you're not welcome here. Now this is an interesting motto going all the way back to the Bohemian Club's founding because a lot of historians think that Bohemian Grove didn't get associated with the U.S. elite political class until the era of World War I or World War II. But in fact, they've always seemed to attract the elite political class, which is why I don't think it's out of the realm of possibility that Benjamin Harrison attended the Grove, because every ex-Republican president, apparently, since 1893 has attended the Grove. But in the late 1880s and 1890s, if you were a playwright or a musician, a writer, a poet, or even a painter in the United States at this time, you'd pretty much really want to be a member of the Bohemian Club and the Grove because people like Oscar Wilde and some of the most famous playwrights and American musicians at the time 
were club staples. Business mogul and newspaperman William Randolph Hearst was an attendee at the Bohemian Club, as well as the Grove, during this time period. And many of his top-level employees and people who worked for him were also members of the club and the Grove. When William Randolph Hearst realized that the boys, as he would call them, were spending more time at the, quote, club than at the actual office, they started to bring in more corporate and politicians to appease their boss, their boss being William Randolph Hearst. So sort of blending business and pleasure at this fraternity was due to a complaint by William Randolph Hearst. It's hard to believe. Maybe there's some truth to that. The only other secret fraternity that William Randolph Hearst was part of, besides being a Bohemian Grove, a Bohemian club member at this time, was the Knights of Malta. Knights of Malta was a Catholic organization that was sort of mimicking Freemasonry in the Knights Templar. Later, William Randolph Hearst would actually cause a schism in the Bohemian Club, where a new club would form based on something that a lot of Grove members found quite sensationalist and offensive that got published in one of his newspapers. That was just a preview clip of a 14-hour-long episode that's divided into three parts. If you'd like to hear the full thing, please consider becoming a Patreon subscriber to Media Roots Radio at patreon.com slash Roots to get access to the rest of the series. Thank you very much.